All right, welcome to the RSP Cast Projection Series. It's Cliff Branch to my right. I'm Rich Tombstone Jackson. We're here for a, a look at the Denver Broncos and the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, you know, and listen, if you're a first time listener to this, I think you know who we are. But even still, um, but you know, Dwayne does fantastic work over at Pro Football Focus and Fighting Chance Fantasy, and um, in the past for the RSP. And, uh, you know, I'm holding it down at that old site, www.mattwaldmanrsp.com. And, and of course, that, uh, that even older site, footballguys.com. Um, so we're going to start off with the Denver Broncos, where my father, my sister, and my brother are all fans. And I hate their guts. Not my family, necessarily. But when they're Broncos fans, I do. Because they've broken my heart a number of times here. But... You know, needless to say, when we look at this team, they're a team on the upswing because I don't think they could have gone much lower last year, much to my delight. Um, but, you know, to look at it from an objective standpoint, of course, listen, Drew Locke um, performed pretty well in his first year. I kind of looked at Drew Locke and I thought he was, people compared him to Patrick Mahomes and I thought that that was kind of like um, a really awful comparison based on some surface level traits. Um, and I still don't think it's a very good comparison, but Locke showed competence and showed some upside in terms of what he could do in terms of spreading the ball around the field, being aggressive downfield, which was always a big thing for him that he was capable of. If he can just stay disciplined with his techniques and disciplined to what he needs to do all the time and not be too Jeff George kind of sling it around lazily with, you know, um, abandoning the discipline of technique, I think he can be an, a, a really good NFL starter. And the Broncos looked at this and said, you know what, we need to surround him with weapons. We need to go, we need to build this offense around him and give him a window to be able to compete here. So they added Melvin Gordon. Um, they got rid of Devontae Booker. Um, you know, they decided Royce Freeman is probably expendable for them at some point, even though they drafted him a couple years ago. They've got Gordon and Lindsay. Lindsay certainly is an exciting player. We're going to talk a lot more about that backfield. And then, of course, the passing game. I mean, Cortland Sutton, he emerged, took another step last year. Um, you know, despite the fact that he still has some little nagging technique issues um, with his hands where it can look a little bit like an adventure, he's making big plays. He's making contested catches. Um, Jerry Judy gets added, one of the best route runners in this draft class. Um, a guy that could probably instantly come in. And while he may not get all of what Emmanuel Sanders provides, because Emmanuel Sanders is one of the best route-running receivers in the league, Jerry Judy is going to grow into that role fast and is probably going to um, at least excite Broncos fans enough to say it was a good replacement and we believe he's going to be even better than Sanders somewhere down the line. Um he may have that chance. I don't know if it'll happen, but that's because I hold Emmanuel Sanders in, in awfully high esteem. You get KJ Hamler, big, you know, really, really massively explosive player in a small package who will go up and win the ball in the air, has a little bit of Tyler Lockett to his game to a degree. Can he fulfill that Tyler Lockett type of comparison? I think he's more like 45% Tyler Lockett, but to me, that's significant. Um, some people will probably say he's 80%. I don't know about all that. Um, so, But those are the three receivers you're kind of looking at. And then you get Noah Fant, who you know, benefited from a lot of nice schemed looks and showed off that athletic ability. 
still showed that he was a little bit confused about some things in terms of the techniques that he's had in terms of being a route runner and a pass catcher. They brought in Albert Okwabunum, and I can't can't pronounce his name probably right, but everybody calls him Chewy, so we're going to call him Chewy. He he was Drew Locke's teammate at Missouri, and they had terrific rapport. And one thing that Chewy does well that Noah Fant does not is win the football in the air, and he also has terrific speed, and he's a guy who can stretch the seam. I think he's an underrated route runner. A lot of people think he's not so much of a route runner. We're going to find out. I wouldn't be surprised if Chewy ends up um, pushing Noah Fant um, pretty hard over the next couple of years if Chewy is in fact motivated or if the people who said that he's not so motivated were blowing a lot of hot air. Um, so that's what I see when we're talking about the Denver Broncos in terms of what's happened from last year to this year. We'll get into more detail with some other players that we didn't talk about here. But Dwayne, I mean... That's kind of the narrative rundown. Give me some of the data rundown. Yeah, so I think at a high level, you know, when you look at the Broncos, um, you know, they won six games last year. Um, Sorry, yes, seven games last year. And then they, you know, Vegas has them at eight games this year. PFF and their model has them at a 7.4. So, I mean, it's a team that I think people acknowledge, right, that, you know, they've got some talent and there's some things they can do. They've got a coach, you know, that wants to manage the game, if you will. And Vic Fangio, Fangio, um, for you fantasy players, you won't like this part. Um, and maybe Pat Shermer can have some influence here, but Fangio, you know, if you look at, you know, where he's been over the last couple of years, as far as, you know, the plays, uh, the, the attempts, right. Um, from a standpoint of, you know, the number, number of plays has not been good. Um, it's, I think he's been the low, I have to, I'm pulling it up right now, but I think it's over the last two years, Matt. So over the last two years, team attempts, um, well, last year was his real first year as a head coach, so 9-13. But if you go back to his years and how he was brought up, right, in the league, his time in Chicago, San Francisco, those teams all had the same exact blueprint. So last year, this team ran 913 plays. So look at Chicago in 2017 when they were good, 895 plays. 2016, um, you know, 939 plays. If you go all the way back to his time in San Francisco under John Harbaugh, those teams were efficient but low-volume type teams. And so if you look at Pat Shermer, you know, who's coming in, you know, he's also he's he's actually worked within those types of confines, you know, before, you know, so he's worked under a defensive minded head coach. You know, if we all we have to do is go back to Minnesota 2017 under Mike Zimmer. But in that case, and Zimmer isn't quite as bad as what you see with Fangio, but you can tell when he's got his thumb, you know, over his coordinator and he will push those, uh, you know, attempts down. Um, but in that year in Minnesota, I mean, this is the kind of glimmer of hope. There were a thousand and twenty eight plays under Pat Shermer. You know, now the two years before it was it was in Philadelphia, so you kind of throw you know you throw those out. Um, that was those were more offensive oriented teams, um, but you know that was Chip Kelly you know time, so they were running some of the most plays in the league. So it'll be interesting to see how those two um, you know balance out. Um, right now, I've got them projected for 950 plays, Matt. Um, I've got them at 55% pass and 45% run. I think, uh, you know, they're going to want to try to be and, and 55, 45, for those of you that haven't, you know, maybe listened to you know some of these in the past, you know, that's really a balanced offense in today's NFL. You know, that's what you would call a run balanced offense. You know, they still root things to the run, but they're still going to pass a little more, but, but things are set up. It's not, it's not like a Seattle or a Baltimore, right. Which I would call run heavy in today's league, you know, where you're down maybe 50, 50 or even lower. 
but that's still pretty balanced. You know, the league average is 58% pass versus 42% run, just to kind of give people some context. Um, you know, the thing with Denver last year, you know, Matt, they lost, um, you know, their, their average margin of victory was minus 2.1, you know, despite being able to pull together seven games. So really, you know, they could have lost, you know, even more, right? You know, if you looked at, at pro uh, football reference, you know, they would say they should have only won six games, right? If you look at, you know, how the season played out. But it was really all around their offense. Their defense wasn't bad. Their offense was really bad. Um, the defense was was above the league average and was holding its own. But what's interesting here is, you know, about the defense. And, and while Fangio is really, you know, a good coordinator, you do lose, you know, your top cornerback in Chris Harris. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what kind of impact that has on the team. Because you and I know that when you have a cornerback like that, that you know that basically you can say, okay, in this particular game, I want you to do this. It opens up everything else around your game plan for your defense. And so when you lose something like that, you just never know what the true impact is going to be to the defense. Um, because if you don't have someone else that you can put in, that you can trust, at least trust, it doesn't mean they have to be perfect or they won't ever get beat, but you know that they're just not going to beat themselves. Um, well, then you have to scheme so many more things. Um, and, and you also have to become more vanilla, really, in your approach. Because, you know, if you don't... It, if you don't have the ability to say, well, I trust you and that allows me to do this other thing over here, well, you just you have to stay more vanilla in a lot of your approaches. So that's going to be interesting to see how Fangio uh, works through that. You know, what's that going to look like? Because I think there's a chance, right, that their defense, you know, regresses. Now, they still have a lot of talent on defense. You know, they, they've spent quite a few high draft picks on defensive players. So I still think that the defense could be really good, but that's something to definitely watch. So I've got them at 950 attempts. I've kind of got Shermer and Fangio splitting, you know, the middle on it, Matt. You know, I don't see it being down, you know, around, at least I hope, goodness. I mean, 800, you know, attempts is really, 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 really bad. <laughs> you know, I mean, mm-hmm. um, and Shermer was, a you know, he, he gets things up around 1,000, 1,050. So I've got them at 950 plays, 55, 45. All right. Well, you know, we're extremely far apart. I mean, I have them at 938 plays. <laughs> there we go. And yeah. I have them at 5644 pass. So, yeah, we're we're right in line there. And and just to to look at this, I mean, certainly we'll start off with the quarterback, Drew Locke. Listen, um I think he's going to complete over 60% of his passes. He's going to get closer to 65%. I've met 63-3. Uh, as his completion percentage, 528 attempts, um, 334 completions um, for 7.19 yards per attempt at 37.95 in terms of yardage. Um, 4% of his attempts are going to be touchdowns, 4.2 to be exact, 22 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, 0.2, um, 2.8, because I believe that with the young receivers, Jerry Judy being a younger receiver, Noah Fant, still probably being a rookie um, because I think he was still kind of in college last year in terms of the way that they used him, um, that they're going to ask him to do a little bit more. He's going to have some growing pains. Chewy's going to have some growing pains. Um, Probably Melvin Gordon's going to even have some growing pains just having to adjust and them not having the level of practices that you would expect. So I have him at that, you know, 2.8 of his um, percent of his attempts being interceptions at 15 um, running 26 times for 65 yards for a couple of scores. Um, you know, for those of you who keep score on the fantasy angle out there, for me, that puts Drew Locke at 26th on my fantasy radar. That doesn't excite a lot of people. Probably gets some Denver Broncos thinking that I just hate them. Um, you, you know, and while they're right, 
um, it's you, you know I do try to be um, objective about the situation because it's not like I want I'd rather be right far more often than just see the Broncos not do well you know I mean so I mean listen I like I like the Steelers almost as less as I mean I like the Broncos just a little less than the Steelers and I'm like think the Steelers are going to have a resurgence so just to give you a frame of reference there Dwayne what do you think about Drew Locke at this point well, I think he's kind of got us. I think one thing, you know, Matt, is he's got to survive uh, week two against the Steelers at the Steelers. So <laughs> if we get past that, yeah. you know, uh, and what that defense can make really anyone look like. Um, I mean, people forget the Steelers were the only defense last year. They really set the model of here's how you stop the Ravens. Yeah. You know, so I mean, this is, a, it's a really good defense. It, you know, no, they did something no one else in the entire NFL could do, right? Including Bill Belichick, who's you know the mastermind. You know, they they threw Bill Belichick and his little defense around like a rag doll. So, um, you know, the Steelers. There's going to be some tests early in the season. You know, he starts off you know against Tennessee, which is also a pretty good pass defense, and then in week three gets a much improved Tampa Bay defense that was getting rapidly better you know as the season closed out last year and this so he's got the third line, this offensive line isn't very good and they've had some more issues this offseason yeah yeah and Juwan James you know as an opt-out due to COVID-19 so I mean he was their starting right tackle um, they, they did some things along the offensive line where they're trying to address it it's not like they're just burying their heads in the sand and thinking oh god I hope it gets better they've done some things but it's like hey you plug two holes and then another leak springs and so I think that's that's that can make matters tough. And I think where you're kind of going with that, some of those teams I just talked about, they like to bring the pressure, you know, and they, and they are certainly good at it and still holding up to some extent on the back end, even though sometimes they may sacrifice uh, players up front to make that blitz work. Um, so I think, you know, whenever I look at, you know, Drew Locke, um, the big thing, you know, that I, I was really interested in hearing your take because I'm kind of torn on him, Matt. It's like, I see some good things, you know, about him. And then there's some things I'm like, okay, that, that doesn't look, you know, as good. But what I will say from a lot of things I typically chart and look at that we know, you know, can be consistent and be telling about a quarterback over time from an accuracy perspective, um, you know, he ranked 15th out of 35 quarterbacks that were graded. So he was, and he was slightly above, you know, the league average. Um, and that's based on the pro football focus quarterback annual where they're charting every single play. Um, he was really good behind the line of scrimmage um, zero to nine yards down the field. But as he tried to work the ball down the field further. Um, that's where his accuracy dropped off. So if you look at him in the 10 to 19 yards range, he was minus 4.8% versus the rest of the NFL. And then in the 20 yard range, he was minus a 14.9. Now you have to take the 20 yard range with a grain of salt. If you look at most quarterbacks, they're going to make 40 to 50 attempts like that in a year. Some will make 60, 70, but they're kind of rare. So I mean, it's not like we're looking at a huge sample size here. You really want to look at something like that over multiple years with a quarterback. So we only have one, right, for Drew Locke. So there could be more to his game. Um, but, you know, those things are definitely um, red flags. But at the same time, I know that, you know, you're also dealing with, you know, he didn't have, you know, the greatest weapons. Um, by the time he got on the field, Emmanuel Sanders wasn't in Denver anymore. You know, so, I mean, he was dealing with, um, you know, Cortland Sutton was his was the one A, one B and one C in many of those games. And as much as I like Cortland Sutton, to your point, Matt, he still has, you know, some issues. I don't know that he's a true 
alpha. I mean, he may get alpha targets, but I don't think I consider him to be like a true alpha in the meaning of when I think of an alpha wide receiver, right? He could still grow into that, but I think, you know, Sutton is, is definitely not in that category yet. So I think, you know, to that extent, I give him, you know, a little bit, you know, of a pass. Um, but just looking at, you know, where he starts to kind of have, you know, some of his problems um, is, is if you look at his first read, you know, he's right there with the league average. Uh, 66% of his passes are on the first read. 67%, you know, is the NFL average. Um, and if you look at, you know, what he's able to do from an EPA standpoint, you know, as far as expected, you know, points added, you know, versus the rest of the league, he's a .09 versus a .08. So, I mean, I mean he's right there. Um, the other positive thing is when he gets to his next read, Matt, he graded out as a .06 in EPA. The league average is a minus 0.05 once you move a quarterback off their first read. That's pretty interesting stat to me. Um, you know, just thinking about league averages, how often, as soon as you don't get the you don't get the ball to your primary, things go bad for a lot of the league. And I think honestly, like I've been thinking about this stat more. That's one of the things that separates the Tom Brady's. Uh, the Drew Breeses, their number, they're one of, there are not very many quarterbacks where that number doesn't, you know, uh, go down. And Drew Locke is actually, again, smaller sample size, but that's a positive 0.06. Then, you know, you get over to his, uh, which I think is, can be typical for younger cornerbacks. You get him in the scramble drill. He is a freaking mess. You know, you get him moving around, you get him out of the pocket, you create some chaos for him. He goes to a minus 0.16 versus a league average of 0.03. So that's really where a lot of his bad plays happen. Turnover-worthy plays were an 8.3% for him in that situation versus 6% in the NFL. If you look at him across all the other categories, his turnover-worthy plays, which are basically anything that could or should have turned into a pick but just didn't, you know, essentially, um, you know, he was actually pretty good, you know, for, for being the age that he is. Um, but if you if you get him moving around, you, you create some chaos, he gets outside, you know, that's really where he kind of shot himself in the foot. So when I think across all those things, like the positive I think of is like, well, you know, overall, it, it doesn't look bad to me. It, it looks like there's more positives than, you know, negatives. Um, but again, a small sample size. So for me right now where I've got luck lock, we're kind of we're kind of similar. I've got him at 62 percent completion rate uh, on 523 attempts. So that's 324 completions. I've got a little lower than you. I think you said like 6.2 or 6.15 on yards per attempt. I've got him at six. Point, I have 7.19. So it's almost a 7.2. So I'm at I'm at 6.75. Um, so a little lower, um, but I could certainly see the room for upside. Now you're if, especially if you know say a Judy or a Hamler is actually able to come in and make an impact in their rookie season. Um, you know, I think, you know, there's the opportunity, you know, for Locke to be able to do a little bit more there, but I've got him at a 6.75 for right now. Touchdowns per attempt, four and a half percent. That's 24 touchdowns. I've got him at 13 interceptions. And then I've got him with 50 rushing attempts for 200 rushing yards and one touchdown. There you go. So it's interesting. And I liked, you know, it, it, that was certainly an informative breakdown. It does match a lot of what you see on film when it comes to him working outside the pocket. This was new at Missouri, too, where everyone compared him to Patrick Mahomes. And I'm thinking you're comparing the worst thing about Drew Locke to one of the best things about Patrick Mahomes. Um, and statistically, that actually bears out uh, because once you get him outside the pocket, he tries to be though that type of thing. And you're like, dude, you could set your feet. You can throw it over your shoulder. You don't have to submarine it. You don't have to try and throw across the field. You don't have to try and do those things. 
but he did try to do those things and he usually followed up when he did and you he didn't do that as often in denver um as a, as a rookie but there were moments where you looked and go danger will robinson this is not you know you're not heading in the right direction with this so if Locke can learn to understand what his game really is then i think he can be a very good nfl quarterback but what i said in the 2019 rookie scouting portfolio about him essentially was that drew Locke's been enabled his entire career when you watch his game i mean this is this is not a fact this is more an observation okay um but i think it's a pretty good observation so i'm going to share it again which is that Drew Locke throughout his entire career, he's one of those players um, that because he has a special arm, because he has special talent in terms of being able to attack downfield and throw the ball with accuracy in a lot of situations, high school teams were like, he's a special player for a, for a high school player. We're going to let him do his thing. We're not going to try and go crazy trying to correct him. He started off well in the SEC. We're not going to go crazy trying to correct him. We're going to we're going to give him a few we're going to give him a few suggestions here and there, but if he doesn't follow it, well, that's okay. If it's going to help us get to bowl games, it's okay. And so what you'd see is sloppy footwork, sloppy arm angles, um, you know, reckless play, oftentimes against lesser teams. And the problem with that is that it's just like the kid who's like got the natural mind for science kind of has the natural mind for you know performance of some level uh you know in some discipline but they don't practice they or they don't practice with discipline and as a result when it's time for them to actually have to be at the top of their game their game isn't tight enough for them to actually switch into that mode they can't turn on the light switch and suddenly be doing these things that Tom Brady does because Tom Brady maniacally prepares and everything looks the same. Russell Wilson maniacally appears. Everything looks the same. Drew Brees maniacally prepares. It looks the same. When Drew Locke tries to turn on the switch, the light flickers and then it goes out against Alabama, Florida, Georgia, teams like that. And so have you watched, have you watched the last dance with the Michael Jordan Netflix series? Yes. Yes. That's when I think of Brady and Breeze and those guys. Doesn't it make you immediately like those yeah. guys? I immediately think I, when I see Jordan, I'm like, I bet they're just like that. And yeah. the way and what you just said, while they held others to a very high standard, they held themselves to it. And and if you saw that, if for those that are listening that saw it, I mean, what I found fascinating is how he was always creating competition to create that pressure in practice to get people ready for that moment. Right. So that when it happened, to your point, it wasn't like, you know, it's just a flicker. It's like they had already been there. They're ready for it. You know, a lot of people may not like the way maybe Michael Jordan went about that. I think there's all sorts of ways you can do it, but he did do it his way. And to your point, you know, with like Drew Locke, if if, if that's the case, that kind of worries me. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you never know when those moments are going to pop up. And all of a sudden, you know, you could go, it could make for a very inconsistent performer is what I would think. Yeah. And so what you're looking at really is a quarterback who what we're hoping for is that that's just a maturity thing and that now that he's had a taste of the NFL that he realizes that he's got a he's going to have to apply himself on a level that he didn't and certainly there are players that have figured that out Devontae Parker is a good example of someone who started to apply himself in a way that he didn't before 
because I talked about for years, I just rely on my God-given ability. That's what he said before the draft, and he relied on it for about three years too long. Um, you know, and Drew Locke, if he can figure that out, he can be a very good quarterback. If he can't, he's going to be an up-and-down guy. And I'm going to tell you a guy who has figured it out, but he hasn't figured out his life, was former Denver Bronco future starter, Chad Kelly. And, you know, people laugh about it, and I know that people think it's crazy because they think of the all the surface-level stuff. But that's the reason why I still kind of have that torch for Chad Kelly, even when he gets cut this year by the Colts because they brought in Jason Eason, or Jacob Eason, and they have Jacoby Brissett. If they cut Kelly, I hope he winds up somewhere because even though people are like, oh, what are you talking about? That guy's crazy. He just even said that he could beat every quarterback in a race other than Lamar Jackson. And to be honest with you, if you've watched the film, he's absolutely right, 100% right. And this is a guy that, I mean, when he was in Denver, worked his tail off. So I'm just going to give you, a, a, you know, the difference between him is that he didn't have maturity off the field and might actually have some issues that are emotional that keep him from being able to not self-sabotage. But, like, that's a guy who maniacally works hard. Um, so if he ever gets it together, you know, one day we're going to be having this conversation about about this particular video thing. I'm just going to say that. So moving forward, Cortland Sutton. You know, I thought you were absolutely spot on. You know, he's not quite an alpha yet. He's an alpha in training. You know, if we're going to go with 80s and 90s basketball references, he's Sean Kemp. You know, you know, he's like, he's really good, but he's not great. You know, he has some flaws. He's not complete, but he's, but he's, but when he's good, he's really good. You know, so. What have you seen, Matt, just from a, because I I remember even going back to when, uh, you know, you first scouted Cortland Sutton reading the RSP, you know, a few years back. Um, And I know you, you even talked about then, right? Some of the inconsistency with the hands, um, you know, drop things he shouldn't, but then would turn around, you know, would make an amazing catch, you know, on the next play. Have you, what have you seen, you know, from his game? I don't know how much time you've had to really, I know you, you're, it's gotten better. You don't have a, it has. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I listen, I watch every game pretty much every week on, on Sundays for football guys at the top 10. And I like, I probably like in basically, um, you know, how would I best put it? I probably, um, I'm my, my Twitter feed is like a fire hose of like highlight clips. So of, and breaking down plays every week. So, you know, Cortland Sutton week and week out, what you saw was a guy whose hands techniques got a little better, but not, not necessarily were better, but he caught the passes that at SMU he was dropping. Um, and you were still seeing some moments where he had like, some issues in terms of hand. His biggest issue is he can't get his hands close enough together on certain plays, and he ends up catching it with one hand or or double catching the ball. And then when he takes contact or it's close cut tight coverage, that can exacerbate the situation. But he's looking. By the way, I me- I immediately thought of you today. Sorry, just That's quick right. tangent. I immediately right. thought of you today when the CD Lamb highlight catch was getting posted everywhere, and if you look at how Lamb, like the way his body's going. And the way this catch is happening, and he's like this, and you're like, 
he's got he's totally trying to catch that ball like the wrong way. Why is he trying to catch a ball that's like right here, you know, like this versus like you know here? I immediately thought of Matt because yeah. Matt, you're like one of the first people, and, and you know. I remember, you know, even being coached this, you know, whenever you're young on football, but I mean, it's something you always paid really, really high attention to detail to is, you know, the positioning of the hands and some of the struggles that, you know, some of these receivers may go through. And sometimes maybe they just haven't been coached, but some of them just seem to not know what to do with their hands. Was this the OU play at the sideline? Or was this a, this is a a recent one in training camp. This is one from today in training camp. Yeah. yeah. So he kept it, it. Well, you know, the hot that, and don't get me wrong, I'm super excited yeah. about Lamb and what the yeah. Cowboys are doing. Um, I, I've tweeted about him several sure. times, you know, over the last couple of days. But if you look at it and the way, and, you know, the, they describe the pass as being an out route, number one, right? right? And so he's leaning like this and trying to catch a ball, right? That's coming in from here like this, yeah. right? So versus, you know, like this. It's just, it's just a really, you know, awkward looking kind of a deal but no it's not from the the OU game it's uh from practice okay because he's had an OU play that was unbelievable that was that way and there's actually I can see a reason for catching it the way he did but we can get into that when we when we get to yeah that at some point but um but yeah so with Sutton you know certainly I think he's improved enough he's going to be the lead receiver on this team I think with a guy like Jerry Judy having a one and one a type um, they're going to be just fine. It just is up to their quarterback to be able to be great. Um, Sutton and I have at 115 targets, 70 receptions, 1,040 yards, 14.85 yards per catch. I think he's he gets targeted a lot deep. I think he's going to continue to be. He's going to score seven touchdowns. So I have Cortland Sutton pretty much as my 27th receiver right now. Um, but the stats point to a guy that could obviously climb pretty quickly because there's not much separation among my receivers right now. So Cortland Sutton certainly is a worthwhile starter. If you want to take him a little bit earlier, I wouldn't have any argument with you, but that's where I have him. Jerry Judy, listen, terrific route runner. Um, I think he's much quick. He's much faster than he is good as an accelerator. He doesn't have great acceleration, but he has great short area quickness. So when you look at his routes, he's much more of a, a shifty storytelling route runner who then gets separation. And if he can get it, then he can build on it with his long speed. He'll be good on deep play action passes. Not so good on just one-on-one man-to-man, um, you know, against shutdown corners. I don't think you're going to see him win a lot of those. But I do think at least not in the deeper ranges of the field. But I think he's going to be a very good short and intermediate option. I think he's going to be one of Drew Locke's safety blankets. I have him at 98 catches, 68 or 98 targets, 68 catches, 791 yards for about 11.6 yards per catch. He'll occasionally make some contested plays. He's very good in a contested situation, though you don't, um, you won't see it on film at Alabama. You'll have to see it on like his spring tape against his teammates at Alabama who were all in the pros, you're going to have to see that kind of skill. And I think it'll show up a little bit more there, but I have him for again, 98 um, targets, 68 receptions, 791 yards and five touchdowns. Um, Judy that comes out to from a fantasy perspective, probably somewhere in the range of a, you know, where do I have him here? I know he's somewhere around here. He's at 43rd on my list right now, but again, has a chance to be able to move upward um, depending on how tight it is, you know, on the board. KJ Hamler, listen, 50 targets, 32 receptions, 425 yards and one score. Um, I think that he's going to be used 
Judy's going to be used in two receiver sets on the outside. He's going to be used in three receiver sets with one tight end as the slot receiver. He's going to be used inside probably with KJ Hamler in four receiver sets. Um, and what they'll probably do is use one of those tight ends like Noah Fant or Chewy as another outside receiver. Um, or you'll see Judy and Sutton on the field with Hamler out of the game with Fant and Chewy as two tight ends and then shifted to the outside in 10 personnel. So I think you're going to see a lot of fun little things, but what happens is the constant will be Judy's either in the slot um, half the time or as an outside receiver the other half. Like So, you know, that's why Hamler doesn't have as many opportunities, but he's going to get a chance to stretch the field as an inside receiver. They're going to hope to put like four receivers on the field or go empty, and then Hamler will be inside and he'll probably get a chance to be matched up against a linebacker for some really easy plays. I have him for 13.28 yards per catch on that. Deshaun Hamilton, if he makes the team, I'm giving him 15 targets for seven catches, 65 yards. Tim Patrick's kind of a big possession guy. They seem to be like him in terms of depth. 25 targets, 10 catches, 100 yards for 10 yards per catch. Juwan Winfrey, one of my favorites. I just don't know what they're going to do with him after they bring all those guys in. I think he has real potential. Chris Harris thought he had real potential. Um, I only have him for eight targets right now. So, uh, you know, again, it's Cortland, Judy, and Hamler that are really the fantasy options here. You know, Hamilton, I don't think will be on the team. Patrick will be. I think Juwan Winfrey's intriguing, but I just want to hear what happens more in camp as it goes along. Where are you at, Dwayne? Yeah, so I mean, obviously we're we're together on you know the top guy being Sutton. Um, you know, he averaged twenty two percent in his first year uh, of the targets per game played, and then twenty three percent last year. That's one hundred and fifteen targets. Um, but once the Emmanuel Sanders trade occurred, um, you know, you know he was at twenty five percent, right? So I mean, that's a pretty big chunk, you know, for a young receiver. And guess what? Opposing defenses, he's one of the guys that was more shadowed in the league. Now, some of it will come down to your schedule because not all teams shadow. But if you look at last season, he was actually shadowed six different times. So he, he faced off with Casey Hayward of the Chargers twice. Um, you know, he got him one game. He got him for four catches for 46 yards uh, and three touchdowns um, on uh, the game they played later in the season on four targets. First game, first game when they played earlier in the season, he was only targeted twice, one catch. Trey White from the Bills pretty much shut him down. He had seven targets, but only one catch for 27 yards. And then Darius Slay, um, formerly of the Lions, now the Eagles, eight targets, four catches for 28 yards. Rocky Sin, who I wouldn't really consider to be a shutdown corner, but they do shadow him. Um, five targets, three catches, 72 yards. And then Xavier Rhodes, who's definitely, you know, who, his place dipped, you know, in the last several years. Uh, four targets, three receptions, 96 yards. So, if you look at the top corners, you know, that he faced, it was a little bit of a mixed bag, but it shows you that the opposing team definitely thinks <laughs> that Cortland. And to me, that actually says a lot. When I see that, that's actually one of the things I look for, Matt, like just for like a little edge in fantasy. If you find a, a, a receiver that previously, you know, has been shadowed multiple times and you look at their schedule the next year and you're like, there are no shadow, good shadow 
corners on it, right? If you're against a bad shadow corner and you're in man coverage, that's actually a good thing. Um, that means you could have a huge day. But, you know, you don't want to be going up against, you know, Stefan Gilmore, you know, two times a year and, and then Trey White two times a year. That's that's problematic, right, for AFC East receivers that are not on the Bills or not on the Patriots. You know, you get four shadow matchups from really good cornerbacks in one season, and that's bad. But the positive thing I look at is it shows the respect right that, that that player has you know earned an opposing defensive coordinator isn't going to necessarily do that um, if they don't think that they don't you know, you know that they don't have to now some of it can be at, at some point in the year Sutton was really all they had right so it's like well if we just take Sutton away they can't do anything and they were probably right um, so the thing is you know for fantasy players is the fantasy points didn't follow once his you know once his target shares jumped up and I think a lot of it was due to he did face more of the of the shadow coverage during that period. He's still working with a young quarterback that's trying to get things, you know, settled in. So while his utilization increased, his production actually decreased over the second half of the year. But again, I still look at it, you know, overall, you know, as a positive that, you know, the other teams are giving him that respect. So I, I think he's he's to that point now where he could be on he could be on the cusp, right, of really doing, you know, I think it's up to him now he's going to have a shot to really, you know, take that next step. Um, if you look at, you know, the arrival of Judy, the arrival of Hamler, and then say maybe Noah Fant gets better or maybe Chewy, you know, as you said, Matt, you know, jumps in and is able to do, you know, a little bit more, um, that that possibly just opens more things up, you know, for him. So I think that's a positive. He, he was one of only 12 receivers in all of the NFL last year, Matt, to average over two yards per route ran versus man and zone coverage um and it's a pretty salty list um there's only one other guy on it that i don't really consider to be that good it's not that i think he's bad but i think he's average and he, he, he eats because amari cooper's on the other side and that's michael gallup um and that's good just because i watch him every single week and gallup's a good player but he's not an elite player he he feasts on the fact that amari deals with all the trouble he gets all the trouble uh and still amari comes up with a higher open look rate um, comes up, you know, with more yards per route run. I mean, still beats Gallup in every category. Stop, despite... telling, stop telling the fantasy industry the truth because they don't want to hear it about Michael Gallup. Oh, I know. I know they don't. And I, look, I love I love the Cowboys. So yeah. I, 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 I could go as Homer as anybody, but I'll tell you right now, and I not to get off on a Cowboys tangent, but CeeDee Lamb, you give him the same kind of matchups that Michael Gallup's getting, and you'll see what an elite receiver does to bad cornerbacks. Um, and I think, I don't think it'll even take this year. I mean, especially if he starts off in the slot, but the other thing, again, this isn't Cowboys segment, but where that could help a guy like Cooper and that kind of ties into this thing with Sutton, Cooper now is going to get to kick inside to the slot some and Lamb will jump outside some. So now the team, a lot of teams will shadow on the outside, but they don't want to shadow in the slot. Yeah. So that kind of thing alone could open up more op opportunity. There could be more mouths to feed and it'd be better for Amari and right for CD lamb and Gallup could actually be the guy, you know, I think he'll still be okay. Cause he's going to get good looks, but anyway, um, but I think for Sutton, the same kind of thing could be true here. And it's to your point. I like what you said about Judy um, and, and kind of how you broke down Hamler and what they could potentially bring. I think if just one of those guys steps up and shows enough, I think that could, that could be a helpful thing, right? For uh, you know, Cortland Sutton this season. Um, so I've got I've got Sutton leading the team. 
you know, with targets and I've got him at 25%, 130 targets. I've got him at a 60% catch rate. Um, he's typically going to work outside intermediate to deep. Um, he's also going to face the better cornerbacks. He's often going to have a safety over the top and it's a further throw. So I have him at the lowest catch rate on the team, but it's not because I think it's not just necessarily tied to, you know, his hands. It's tied to just the whole situation. Um, but that's 78 receptions for 1,097 yards at 14 yards per catch. And then I have him at 7.1 touchdowns. Then I have Jerry Judy as the second leading target in the pecking order on the team at 15% of the targets. Um, so that's 78 targets, 49 receptions, 600, 612 yards, five receiving touchdowns. Then I have Noah Fant very close. Um, actually, I have he and Fant tied. Um, so I've got Fant, similar numbers, 15%. That's 78 targets, but 51 receptions. You know, it's a little bit uh, shorter on the A dot. Um, but I've got him at 12 and a half yards per catch, 630 yards. I've got him with six touchdowns. And then I've got KJ Hamler as the fourth option, um, really tied with Melvin Gordon. They're really both tied for fourth. So that's 57 targets, 37 receptions, 411 yards, 2.4 receiving touchdowns. Um, but I definitely see, uh, you know, I think there could be some explosive plays that easily swing him past, you know, that two to three touchdown range. Would I be surprised if he scored five or six? No, because if, 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 if Sutton and Judy are demanding the attention, um, you know, that's going to set him up, you know, in a really good spot. Um, then I have Melvin Gordon. I know we'll, we'll jump over the rushing in a second, but I'll go ahead and hit the uh, backs as far as my targets, Matt. Um, 11%, that's 57 targets, 42 receptions, 313 receiving yards and two touchdowns. But then I have Philip Lindsay at 7%. You know, I did have him at 5%. But the drumbeat continues to go on around Philip Lindsay working in the passing game, recovering from his wrist surgery. It's a guy that cost, caught 56 passes in his junior year at Colorado. It's funny how quickly people will dismiss Lindsay and just say, oh, well, he can't catch passes. Well, you know, there's been times where Philip Lindsay has caught passes. It's just not necessarily what they ask him to do. Now, if you want to talk about pass protection, that's a different conversation. I think Lindsay, you know, you can probably better break down that aspect than me, you know, Matt. But, you know, from a pass protecting from, from a pass protection standpoint, I would definitely rank Gordon, right, as the better guy to have on the field if I got to trust one of the two. Um, but I've got Lindsey at 37 targets, 26 receptions, 179 yards, and one touchdown um, for him through the air. Nice. So that's interesting. I have Noah Fant as well as the third leading receiver, 72 targets, 48 receptions, 670 yards, because I think he's going to get some real mess matches, and they like to mm -hmm. scheme him open. So, you know, I don't think he's going to have a great catch. You know, it's not, not an unbelievable catch rate. It's better than what it was. But he's going to – basically, he's going to get easy targets, and the Noah Fant lovers are going to love him even more, um, even if they're a little manufactured. I've been 13.9 yards per catch and three touchdowns. Um, you know, he's on the border of being a, run, a tight end one in fantasy, but not quite there. Chewy, I've met 27 targets, 17 receptions, 132 yards, and three touchdowns. I would not be surprised if all at all if with a decent camp and I'm going to, you know, and taking a look at more of that this week since we've had our first week of camp, you know, this this past week, you know, if if Chewy starts to make a little bit of noise, I would not be surprised at all if he outscores Noah Fant like on a regular basis as a red zone option because that's why they drafted him. Drew Locke asked for him and they have great rapport in red zone situations. So there's that. Okay, running backs. Interesting because, you know, I asked Wayne before the show because he said, you know, I've been blowing up Twitter about, you know, 
about this whole Gordon Lindsay thing. And I said, oh, really? Because I, I basically was working on an article about some running backs not named Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay um, at Football Guys and then also um, doing bird calls, I guess, is would be the best way that I would put it. Um, so um, that's why there's a hawk above my, uh, actually perched above my window right now because he thinks he hears a geese. Um, here's some geese. But anyway, um, with that in mind, I have Melvin Gordon at 55 targets before all this, 33 receptions, 227 yards for a paltry 6.8 yards per catch and one touchdown. Um, I had Philip Lindsay also at 55 targets for 42 wow. catches for 283 yards at 6.7 yards per catch and one touchdown. The reason I have them at low yards per catch averages is because I think Drew Locke is kind of herky-jerky under pressure, as you described. And I figure that he's not going to be the, the smoothest checkdown player. It's probably going to be kind of a um, one of those situations where he doesn't make life easy for his running back when he decides to check the ball down, you know, because he's going to scramble around, look downfield and try and do some crazy stuff. And when that doesn't work, or if he realizes he's about in trouble and he's going to have to make that little difference of a move and go, Oh yeah, I need to check down to my back. It's going to be one of those deals where, you know, you throw the ball, it goes about four or five yards. And if the, the running backs lucky, he doesn't get creamed or he doesn't or he's able to use their use their fantastic hand you know their fantastic coordination to be able to avoid a massive hit and lean forward for a couple of yards you know or they get or they're basically in a one-on-one situation where they're dead to rights because the defender has an angle in the alley as they catch the ball at four five six yards down the field um so that's kind of why i'm looking at melvin gordon and philip Lindsay in that regard now in terms of the running game um you know, I'm definitely going to be interested in what Dwayne has to say because he's been talking about it all day, apparently, on Twitter with this. But I looked at Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay as this. Um, Philip Lindsay's a good running back. You know, um, certainly Jay Moyer's t- been a big fan of him. He was a guy who worked with us at the Rookie Scouting Portfolio for the past couple of years and now at FF Astronauts. And, and you know, he does fantastic work with his, you know, with the videos that he puts out on players and talks about how Philip Lindsay oftentimes makes some really highly intuitive decisions. And I completely agree with that. Philip Lindsay also has the mindset that he's a 240 pound bruiser um, and attacks the creases with that kind of confidence, which is a good thing. There are times though, where he can get a little too feisty for his size. Um, And that's where I think the Broncos are kind of like, we need another back in here. Maybe we can make the, and I kind of think they, they make this a little bit more of a San Diego or excuse me, Los Angeles Chargers thing where we say, let Melvin Gordon be Melvin Gordon. Maybe we can let Philip Lindsay be a version of Austin Eckler. We can run him inside. We can run those toss plays. We can also let him go out and, and go out for passes. So right now, until I've, but I've been conserved about Lindsay because I wanted to see just like Dwayne did, what's going on? So before the news, since I haven't adjusted, I have Melvin Gordon at 244 attempts, 1,100 yards rushing, 10 touchdowns. Um, and I have him listed as my 19th running back on my board. Um, you know, a, a mid-range running back too. Um, I like Melvin Gordon. I think he's a feisty runner. I think he was nothing. He has turned. He's nothing like the hype that people gave him at Wisconsin. Um, I thought he would eventually be a little better. 
He's good. And I and I feel bad for Melvin Gordon because he's one of those backs who he's just a notch below elite. And you understand, and I th- I'm sure we talked about last year during the holdout, you can understand why he thinks he was an elite back because of his production and because of, you know, he's, ju- he's just close enough. You got to be that, you got to have that confidence to be as good as he already is. But he's just not quite there. And so he's going to be eternally frustrated that nobody gives him the credit that he deserves in his mind. Um, but I just don't think he's quite there. And still, that makes him one of the better running backs in the league. Philip Lindsay, I haven't met 140 attempts, 640 yards. I haven't met six touchdowns because, again, you're going to get this guy into space. You're going to get some nice big gains out of him. He may not get the red zone looks um, on a consistent basis, but he's going to have some big plays. Um, I have him as, I believe, is he my 31st? Yep, my 31st running back on the board. A solid running back three, or maybe low-end running back three in PPR. So, Royce Freeman, look, I I still think he can be pretty good, um, but obviously this team wasn't sold on him. There's probably something going on in terms of how he works or what something in terms of how they feel about him that hasn't have anything to do with on the field because he's a powerful back. He has quick feet. He has enough burst. I think he can be a good receiver. Really gets a lot of good yards after contact. Um, I'd love to see him on another team. And I'll tell you the team that I'd love to see him on. I can tell you right now the team that he should be on. That is the Tennessee Titans backing up Derrick Henry because they need a running back behind Derrick Henry. And I would like to see him there in that capacity. It would probably work out very well for both of them to have a guy like that just as kind of a a, a redundancy plan. I'll just put it to you that way. Um, though I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind revising my um, Titans fan fandom if they like brought back Marshawn Lynch. But I don't think Marshawn <laughs> Lynch, I don't think Marshawn Lynch is probably in shape and ready enough to want to do that. And he is getting kind of old, but. He, you know, he'd be a lot of fun if Derrick Henry got hurt. So you have those guys. Kalfani Muhammad is is a scat back. I don't really have anything listed for him. He's competing with Levante Bellamy, a kid out of um, one of the Michigan schools. I'm trying to remember which Michigan school it was. Western Michigan, um, the same school that our uh, no was it was it the same school? No, I don't think it was. Western Michigan. Yeah, Corey Davis. That's where Corey Davis went. Levante Bellamy has really nice burst. Um, known as a long speedster guy, but I think his burst disguised was more... People got confused with his acceleration, his long speed. I think he can catch the ball. He's an intriguing guy to watch during camp to see if he makes the roster and if he can grow from there. Yeah, so, I mean, we're we're not really far apart. I mean, we definitely are on... on I'm only 20 above you on Lindsay, but you're still 40 above me in attempts on Gordon. So, um, and, and I'm, what did you have Royce Freeman at? Did you say how many attempts? Yeah. Zero. Cause I think he's going to get traded. Yeah. Yeah. And he could get traded. What I'll say is up to this point, you know, they, they do continue to reference, you know, using all three guys, um, which makes this even a little bit more dicey. If you're considering, if you're a fantasy player, you're considering Melvin Gordon in the third round. I have not taken him there. Um, if he slides into the fourth mat and that works out with my roster construction, I feel a little bit more comfortable. 
Um, but Lindsay's a value. Lindsay goes in the 10th or 11th round and he's forgotten. Right. Yep. And if Melvin Gordon goes down with this shift potentially in thinking, um, you know, now Royce Freeman could easily be the guy that goes into Melvin Gordon's role at that point, like what we've seen in the past, but we do have a new coordinator, right. And Vic Fangio didn't draft Freeman. So it, it, there could be an opportunity for Lindsay to take on more work and then Freeman, you know, back him up. But I've got Gordon at 47 and a half percent of the attempts. I've got Lindsay at 37 and a half percent of the attempts. So I've got Gordon at 203 rushing attempts, 160 attempts for Lindsay. Gordon, I've got at 863 yards, Lindsay 720. And then I've got Gordon at eight rushing touchdowns, and I have Lindsay at five. Um, I only have 20. I got 20 carries to Freeman. So that's really the extra because I'm 20 over on Lindsay, but I'm 40 under on Melvin Gordon. We're actually really close on our total team rushes across the running backs. I just got, I have Freeman at 21 sure. for 86 yards and one touchdown. Um, so um, if, if I take those away from Freeman and let's say I split them or gave them to Gordon, you know, um, then, you know, that, that changes things up a little bit. But my hesitation is just that, you know, if, if, and again, we're early, we're early in, in the camps and, and, and receiving these reports, but you know, your good buddy, Lammy Cecil reported out today, um, you know, that they're completely, they're splitting first team reps, you know, period Gordon and Lindsay. So, um, and this is kind of where I was already leaning and more of it, Matt really was just that, you know, I mean, how do you, how do you dismiss Lindsay? I, I, that's the struggle no, I was no. having. That's yeah. what I was having the trouble, the struggle, the struggle with with the fantasy community overall is is because you know the narrative becomes well they pay, they're paying Melvin Gordon nine million dollars this year they just have to hand it to him. Um, yeah, but that doesn't erase the fact that Phillips Lindsay is still a good player. So how often does a guy like Melvin Gordon, of what you said, he's not a lead, he's good, a good talent, but he's not unreplaceable. How often does do, does a back like that get a decent payday, but also happen to land on a roster where there's also a really good player that's already ran for a thousand yards in two consecutive seasons, you know? So um, when I look at it, I, I just had trouble distancing them further. I obviously like Melvin Gordon more, but when I look at the price of Melvin Gordon versus the price of Philip Lindsay, I'm like, man, I mean, Lindsay's the better value. I don't know that if I'll feel comfortable starting him every week or anything, but you know, um, if, if he works himself more into the passing game and that was his early limitation, I had him, uh, you know, I only had him at 5% of the targets. I only have him at 7% now. And I had Gordon slightly higher than that. And so I brought them a little closer together there and I'm just seeing it more really as a one, two punch, you know? So I think, you know, Melvin Gordon early on, I was really thinking he'd get 15% of the targets or so. Um, and if, if, he could still hang his hat on that. And I actually agree with you on the inside the five carries. I think Gordon will be the guy. I think Gordon will get all pretty much 70 to 80% of the work inside the five. Um, and I think, you know, he'll get close to 50% of the attempts. Um, he'll still be the lead back from a standpoint of targets. I just don't think there's as big of a gap as what people think. Yeah, no, I love it. And listen, what I love about this show is we don't have any accountants on this show. So, you know, the best accountant in fantasy football is Mike Clay. Mike Clay does fantastic work, and he was an accountant. And, you know, unfortunately, we have too many people who are like multiplicity versions of Mike Clay sometimes with their thinking. Um, or they're just learning. I'm just being an ass. So it's okay. But, 